one thing I think is always important, especially in the tech bubble to remember is that most people, even people who use iPad Pros, I'm talking like architects and musicians and like photographers, they only upgrade every four to five years, maybe longer. So like most people in the real world don't upgrade year over year. That's very much in tech thing. So they're coming off iPad Pro 2017, if not iPad Pro 2015. And it's a really good update for them. And some people are like, well, don't keep making them. And I'm like, no, it's like a bakery. If I shop on Monday and Andrew shops on Tuesday, he deserves the fresh bread. He doesn't deserve stale bread because he's shopping after I do. And there are people who are buying an iPad Pro this year. And if they got last year's, that's like a two generational processor. It won't get updates anywhere nearly as long. And I think it's incumbent on Apple to keep these products fresh so that whenever you choose to buy, whenever it's your cycle, you get the latest thing so that you can have the best experience for the longest time possible. Welcome to Geared Up. I'm Andrew Edwards. I am John Rettinger. It's good to be back. Yes, it is. Geared Up is your weekly look at the world of tech and gadgets. And John, we had Renee Ritchie on a recent episode. I was going to phrase it as we had a secret podcast. We had an, had an exclusive podcast, sort of like what like Wu-Tang Clan had done with some of the recent albums, that only three people ever got to hear. That is true. That is true. And Renee had some technical difficulties. And so I didn't want to deprive our audience of the knowledge bombs that this man was dropping on you and I. That's true. But you're missing the big question, Andrew, is do we give him the same quality introduction that we gave not. him the one that nobody heard? The raving no. <laughs> about the amazingness of Mr. Renee Ritchie. What I'm going to do instead is shout out the editors of this very podcast because I said, hey, listen, we had three audio files. One of them didn't work. Which happens. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We're just playing around with Renee. This Technical difficulties happen with technology all the time. In fact, we were having several of them just a few minutes ago trying to get this podcast started. But we were able to take a conversation between three people and turn it into a conversation between John and I to where it made total sense. I did not do that. John did not do that. That is the power of finding people who know what they're doing, which is not us, obviously. But... What we do know is that our audience deserves and should not be deprived of Renee Ritchie. And so therefore, he is back today. Welcome, Renee. So embarrassingly, I minted an NFT with my audio. And because it was just a JSON file <laughs> pointing at a URL, there was no actual data behind it. So all there was was the pointer. And apparently that contains nothing real. So who knew? <laughs> I hope you at least earned a minimum of five Ethereum from selling that you know, NFT. No one can see this, but we're at, we can all see each other while we're recording. And as Andrew was talking, Renee had a smile on his face. I'm like, oh, he's got something. He's got, he's, <laughs> he's, he's waiting. He's waiting for it, which is perfect. Well, well done. a witty man. Well done. And I should point out that Andrew and I ended up wearing the same shirt. So I'm not sure John knows who he's talking to at any given moment on this show. <laughs> so that any awkwardness happens. <laughs> <laughs> I really was hope. I, I don't know why. When Renee joined and then John was still trying to come in, I was like, if John's wearing this shirt. Yes. How, how incredible <laughs> if John's wearing this shirt. All right. We got, we've got a lot of news to talk about today. We've got uh, Apple hardware that was released just a few days ago. WWDC's keynote was, just, we already knew it was coming, but the official invites went out today. We'll talk about that. But I want to start with something that I, I believe Apple just thought would be hey, here's a cool announcement for anybody who uses Apple Music, and turned into, as tech nerds will do, one of the most controversial topics of the <laughs> week last week. And that is that Apple Music is going to be going through an upgrade at no charge, so completely for free, adding lossless audio and spatial audio with Dolby Atmos. Now, to, to set the background here for a second, competing music services that have had lossless audio charged basically between 50 and 100% more for that feature. So if it was a $9.99, $10 per month subscription fee, if you wanted lossless added, it would be another 5 or $10 per month. Apple is saying, we're adding that too. No price increase at all. We're just adding it across the board. And we're also adding this other feature. Did you guys see the chaos that ensued from this announcement. 
All right, I know Renee did. He was at the center of most of it. <laughs> I want to ask your guys' opinion on this because yeah. I've seen a bunch of people with different opinions. So Apple doesn't always communicate well. Like case in point, like when they first put out the smart battery pack for the iPhone, people are like, this is too much money for too small a battery. And Apple didn't explain what battery efficiency was. Like it didn't block the signal. It doesn't turn it into a plugged in mode where all the data, like it had it ended up being a really good one, but Apple didn't explain it. And this was the same thing. Apple didn't explain any of this stuff. And I always feel like when the company fails, it's still my responsibility to do the research and explain it to my audience, where other people seem to think, oh, rage bait opportunity. I'm going to just complain about how badly Apple messed this up. And I'm like, no, that, that creates anxiety and stress in my audience. I want to take care of those people. So I spent like two days trying to explain what all this stuff actually was until Apple finally, on a Sunday, put out a tech note actually explaining it. Right. And so Apple was... Responding to journalists who started sending them emails like, hey, how does this work? And then they had to put out basically, I mean, they put out the note that probably should have been available when the feature was announced, yes, right? So sure. you see this feature. Oh, this looks cool. How does this work? Oh, here's this document that I can yeah. refer to that tells us. And it's also interesting because it was kind of similar to they released or announced the new iPad Pro, the 12.9, and then it was, oh, this is not going to work with the keyboard we yes. released. Yet it does, yes. but in Apple's mind, there's a one millimeter difference, so it doesn't exactly fit, and therefore we're all about fit and finish. Yet Class action to the average person, <laughs> you do, <laughs> right, the average person, they do not see a difference at all. Like I'm, I have it in there right now. I don't see what the problem is at all. I don't think that was what the issue necessarily was. I think the issue was that this new tier wouldn't be supported on a lot of Apple's headphone hardware. Well, that was another issue like that, for that sure. Was, that was where I think most of the outrage at least appeared to be. The, like, the thing in Apple's mind is that they're doing this thing, spatial audio, Dolby Atmos, all of this. And to them, this is yes. the, best, the next best deal in audio. This is 4K HDR for audio. And then they decided... And for years, their, their, their engineers at Apple said, we're not doing lossless. It's BS. You know, it's marketing. We're not going to do it. It doesn't work with all these things. We're not, and then finally, Apple's like, you have to do it. Everyone else is doing it. Damn it, engineers, put on your nerd glasses and do it. And they're like, <laughs> fine. And they also did like high res, which is even like a next tier of like indistinguishable to human adult ears. But everybody's doing it. So they're going to do it too. And if people aren't familiar with lossless, almost everything we consume digitally has some form of lossy compression just because bandwidth is so constrained. So when you look like an MPEG or a JPEG or a PNG file or an MP3 or MP4 file, all of these are lossy. They have scientists who figure out what part of a sound or an image human eyes or ears can't really differentiate, and then they get rid of that data to make it smaller. It's like why we have H.264 and H.265, all of these things. But there's also uncompressed audio. You get that on Blu-rays. There's uncompressed images. You get that in like TIFF files. There's uncompressed video you get in RAW files. And it's just so big that, you know, you have to handle it basically with sneaker net still, like physical, like one-to-one -one locations. So audio files tend to like lossless audio because there's no compression on it. But the problem is that when you put that into a lot of modern gear, it lossies it up anyway. People got so mad that AirPods don't work with lossless audio, but AirPods are Bluetooth, which is one of the most lossy transit forms ever. So you're basically saying, I'm giving you this 8K lossless movie and you're playing it on your Palm Trio 680. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter what the, sauce, what the source is. Do you think we have the full picture, though, of what Apple's planning with a combination of their hardware and software? I mean, so I'm talking, let's say AirPods Max specifically. Do we have a full picture yet of what Apple is planning in that space? I think we don't. Like, I think they will come out with a better cable or some third-party vendor will come out with a cable. Uh, like right now, Apple says you have to hardwire or use Wi-Fi for lossless audio. So the HomePod's going to be updated for it. There's no cable for the AirPods Max yet that supports it, but that should be coming. And they're working on a new codec that's going to support lossless but it's still going to be a codec and codecs by definition are lossy again. So we're going to be like, as long as it's going over Bluetooth, it's going to be maybe better, but I don't know how many humans will tell. I like to throw out the curveballs here, the wild predictions, but are we like maybe at the dawn of AirPlay 3? So my question is always like, what would it offer? Like AirPlay is already peer to peer 
Wi-Fi. And that works fine for a HomePod because it's plugged in or for a Mac because it's plugged in. But you're still going over Bluetooth to your AirPods and they're still not plugged in. There's no Wi-Fi radio there's, and there's no ability. With like things like AirPods, you want to race to sleep. You want to do as much as you can and then shut down as much as you can to conserve battery life. So like AirPlay 3, maybe it's AirPlay over Bluetooth, but then you're still constrained by Bluetooth. I'm not an audiophile, but you the imagination. But is there another technology that can be leveraged? It wouldn't make sense that Apple would release this and not have it be work with their current hardware. And I, and I believe the wording that they said was as of now or it was does not currently work with. Yeah. So I mean, it wasn't it, like, a definitive. The purpose of AirPods is like because they know that all this Bluetooth audio is crap. They wanted to use computational audio to make Bluetooth sound as good as anything else. Sort of like computational photography. So like the, the, whole, the whole reason you buy AirPods is because you want your streaming audio to sound the best it could possibly be without the need for lossless. So it's almost like lossless is, is counter to the whole reason that these products exist. I'm sure like some people would even argue whether you'll hear it or not. And these are like, these aren't new battles. These are vicious audiophile battles for years. It's like they'll insist that vacuum tubes and vinyl sound better than any of this and they will fight you to the death over it. So like you're not dealing with pure science. It's a lot of it is, is like human emotional feelings. Now, what if Apple did this in reverse? What if Apple had lossless audio five years ago and then released Bluetooth headphones? Would there still be this uproar? Because I mean, the problem is nobody's lossless audio works with anyone's Bluetooth headphones. Like it's it's a Bluetooth thing. It's not an Apple thing. It's not a Spotify thing. It's not a Tidal thing. Amazon has lossless audio that doesn't work with their Amazon Buds because it, it, it just doesn't work. Why is it that when Apple can't bend Bluetooth to its will, it's a problem with Apple products rather than the technology. I mean, like they can make a codec like Sony, which they say is better, but it's still, it's better lossy. It's never going to be lossless. And I think like, it was funny watching some of the audio files, like, you know, like Quinn from Snazzy Labs, where he's like, oh, you paid $500 for your headphones and you're, you're upset that I'm playing lossless. I paid 500 bucks for the cable that's on my lossless system <laughs> and 10 grand for the amp and 10 grand for the headphones. Like those aren't expensive. Like, and then you get like categories of audio files. You could literally spend every dollar you ever earn in your entire life and still feel like you don't have the best audio gear. Yeah. And so, as Apple said, it's virtually indistinguishable from what you get now. They're launching two new tiers, yet the first tier is virtually indistinguishable, yet there's another tier on top. The fact that they're not charging for it feels, at least in my mind, more honest. If, if, if the company is saying, you're pretty much going to have the same experience and then doesn't charge more, that's like a more honest approach to this than saying, hey, we're also going to charge you an extra $10 per month for this thing that most people aren't going to hear. But the other side of the equation, which I feel like most people miss, and I put out a tweet about this. If you look at the announcement, there were nine paragraphs dedicated yes. to spatial audio. There was three paragraphs dedicated to lossless, and one of the three was just instructions on how to find it in the settings. So it was really only two. So as far as Apple's concerned, this announcement leaned very heavily on this cool new thing called spatial audio with Dolby Atmos. And everyone, at least in the tech sphere, because that's the bubble I'm in, laser focused on lossless and the fact that it doesn't work with Apple's headphones. Yet there's this other feature that will not only work with Apple's headphones, but any headphones from any brand. And it also is going to be something that if lossless takes a highly trained ear to hear the difference, spatial audio is going to be immediately noticeable to anyone. Yes, it'll freak you out the first time you listen to right. it. Right, yeah. and as we've talked about, when it comes to Apple, they're about the experience. They wanna provide you with a new experience. And that is what the spatial audio feature will do. And I haven't heard it, but I'm only going off of what spatial audio for movies has done. When you pull up a movie that supports surround sound, on your iPhone or iPad using spatial audio, like it's completely trippy because there have been several times that I've hit play and I have thought that my headphone connection dropped and yes. that it was just filling the room. I'm like, oh no. Yeah, you're like, in the like, room. Yeah. yeah, so like I'm like 
my wife is sleeping next to me. I'm like, oh God, let me hit pause because I don't want to wake her up. And it's like, no, it's actually going through my headphones, but it just, the soundstage that they've created is so wide that it doesn't sound like headphones. Especially the Max, because like the Max makes you feel like you're in the room where the pros make you feel like it's in your head. So it's a very different experience. So if they're going to do that for music, that is the more exciting feature here. Why are people so concerned about lossless? Yeah, can you imagine John Williams like in spatial audio or like like the <laughs> Avengers Endgame soundtrack in, in spatial audio? Right. I'm never leaving my house again. John, have you used spatial audio for movies? Yes. Was it impressive to you as someone who's admittedly not the biggest audiophile? I only notice things for audio in does it sound better than I'm used to or worse? That's my only frame of of, of audio reference. And it definitely sounded better than I was used okay. to. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So this feature requires iOS 14.6, which was just released today, if I'm not mistaken, this morning. But the feature itself will not be available until June. So just a few weeks away. Any other words on on this craziness before we move on to the next topic? Just the high-res audio, you need a DAC for it. And you probably also need ears that come from Krypton. So if your family name is House (laughs) of L, you'll be really into this. But otherwise... Just enjoy your music, people. Just enjoy your music. That's it. Let's move on to um, another piece of impressive technology that Apple released a few days ago. The iPad, the iPad Pro. We talked about the keyboard issue, (laughs) which is really a non-issue. But the iPad Pro 12.9 in particular and that new display, mini LED display. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like in my tests, it only is really noticeable when you're in an HDR, HDR application or workflow, right? Yeah. Okay. When you go into, let's say, an HDR movie and you're, and you're playing it, it is so immediately apparent. But if you want to be even more shocked by the difference in the quality of the HDR versus the standard def on the same iPad, swipe up and go into picture-in-picture. Picture. It looks like... The little picture-in-picture window is like some magical little section on your screen. Your whole, the rest of your screen just looks like it's terribly dim, yet it's how it normally looks. It's so amazing what they were able to do in the size of, in the size of the 12.9-inch iPad. I don't know if I buy their explanation as to why it's not in the 11-inch, which their explanation was well, our, ex- our 11-inch customers just like portability, and it would have weighed a little more. It might have been a little thicker versus are you able to squeeze it down even more into an 11-inch form factor because 13 inches is pretty damn impressive. Yeah, my guess is that it would have blown the price tag up to $899, and having iPad Pro starting at $899 was a deal breaker for them. Mm. Renee, you've been using this iPad. What are your thoughts? Is it all about the screen? Two things. So it's all about, to me, it's all about M1 and M1 enables almost everything else that it's about because M1 is also doing all the display controllers, like controlling all the different mini LEDs. So it can do that. I don't want to call it a trick, but it's like you you have OLED and OLED is really great on phone size screens, really great on televisions, but phones and televisions use completely different technologies to make OLED great because OLED by itself is trash. Like you've got to mitigate so many things about OLED. And on an on iPad size screens, on computer size screens, that's not as mature yet. Like Samsung, LG, all those companies have it nailed on televisions and on phones. But it's got, for example, when you go off access, the colors shift either blue or red. And that's fine on a phone because you're looking straight at it. But if you're sitting there with your kids or family on a tablet and the poor kid on the left is going, why is everything blue? Like it's it's, it's not as good. And also it has issues with contiguous brightness. So like it can fire bright, but it can't make all the pixels bright. So some people will comment that like if there's a lot of white, like I was watching uh, Bad Batch, the first episode, and it takes place in the snow. And on OLED, you can see like a modeling on that snow that's not texture. That's OLED trying to keep maintain peak brightness oh, man. continuously across a panel. And mini LED can do that. Like it's not quite as good a contrast ratio. It can't do quite as inky, deep, dark blacks as OLED, but it can do good enough and without any of the problems. Like the blue pixels don't burn out faster than every other, you know, sub pixel. I'd never seen mini LED before. I'd heard about it. I knew about it like intellectually, but I was really impressed. Like you say, it's normal all the time. When you go into HDR, that peak brightness, like you just get all the nits. 
And then it's it's one of the best, especially with the AirPods Max, it's one of the best movie experiences I've ever had. John, have you played with this yet? I have. I've played with it quite, quite a bit. Like Renee, my experience with mini LED was almost non-existent. It was, you know, when I saw at a CES booth, you know, where it's all perfectly calibrated for the light. That's not a real, not a real experience. Then it was like a giant, like 150 yeah. foot display. So I, I use, I use my 12.9 inch iPad daily. It is sometimes content creation, but it's mostly a, a content consumption machine for me. And I imagine that's pretty common for, for a lot of people and how they use their, their, their iPads. I'm not watching that much HDR stuff on it regularly. Now, I did obviously to see it. And when you're watching HDR, I think the best example I can give, maybe people might not even even get this analogy anymore, but the first time that you saw HD content versus non-HD content. And for me, it was watching sports and being able to like see the grass on a field. Like That was a seminal moment that I remember. The change here seemed that drastically different. But it's a very small use case, I think, for where that use case is, where you see it. The technology is amazing. I mean, the fact that like mini LED is on an iPad and like I could use this to calibrate our monitors at the office is, is unbelievable. Or as a calibration monitor is, is, is awesome. I still have a hard time seeing the use case for a lot of people, especially considering even the 2018 iPad Pro is still so amazing. I mean, it's such an incredible machine. And then you throw in, okay, well, they also released one last year that was like slightly faster. It's hard, at least for me, it's hard to justify why somebody should buy this unless they're like... I travel all the time. I'm always watching movies. Like, then I absolutely, I get it. Otherwise, I think it's a really awesome use case for the technology. And it's like a halo car. Like, hey, come to our dealership. Look at our, look at our NSX, you know, but walk out with like an NDX. Look at our Corvette, but like, leave with our terrain. I think there's a lot of Apple flexing what's coming. And I think that's really exciting about the technology. What's on the MacBook so badly? Oh my goodness. That's a good point though. What is coming? I feel like even with the last iPad, a lot of people had the iPad Pro in particular, had the impression that there's so much power here that is untapped. And now with the new one, it blows away the one that we were just saying three months ago has so much untapped power. (laughs) Like there's so much power here. It seems like all eyes are on WWDC now as to what is Apple going to do to unleash this device, unshackle, unchain, set the iPad Pro free into the world. Can I add something real quick before we get to DubDub? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So like one thing I think is always important, especially in the tech bubble to remember is that most people Even people who use iPad Pros, I'm talking like architects and musicians and like photographers, they only upgrade every four to five years, maybe longer. So like most people in the real world don't upgrade year over year. That's very much in tech thing. So they're coming off iPad Pro 2017, if not iPad Pro 2015. And it's a really good update for them. And some people are like, well, don't keep making them. They're like, no, it's like a bakery. If I shop on Monday and Andrew shops on Tuesday, he deserves the fresh bread. He doesn't deserve stale bread because he's shopping (laughs) after I do. And there are people who are buying an iPad Pro this year. And if they got last year's, that's like a two-generational processor. It won't get updates anywhere nearly as long. And I think it's incumbent on Apple to keep these products fresh so that whenever you choose to buy, whenever it's your cycle, you get the latest thing so that you can have the best experience for the longest time possible. I absolutely agree with that. I wonder what the upgrade cycle is for iPads. And Andrew, before you jump into DubDub as well, I've been burned in the past and I've sort of made a promise to myself that I will never buy a product based on future potential software updates. You know, it happened with my car. It happened with a bunch of products. WWC is going to be amazing. Uh, iPad OS is going to be incredible. Maybe it won't. So for everybody out there that's jumping in because what they think is coming, I always recommend waiting until it's here. Yes, it is a solid update, though. You do get 5G. You do get that center stage feature, which I at first was just like, okay, cool. No big deal. But in usage, it's just such a for lack of a better term, it's just an Apple feature, right? Like <laughs> Amazon released a, Amazon released an Echo that has to swivel to follow you, which I thought was cool. It kept your face in frame and it swiveled. Apple is basically achieving the same thing with a device that doesn't move at all. It just stays where it always did, where any of your other iPads did, but follows you around. And if someone else comes into the frame or other people, several people, it'll just widen the view and it looks, it looks more professional. <laughs> it looks more professional 
than previously. It's just features like that where you wonder, and maybe it's because no one else is in the tablet game at this point, but why has no one else done this? Like, it's such a simple, like, it's the simple things that kind of mean the most sometimes and features like center stage, especially in a time like now where there's so many more Zoom calls and Microsoft Teams and all those other virtual meetings works great. It's great. Yeah. That's iPad. I was gonna say it's probably processor overhead combined with the true depth camera. So you have some form of, of spatial knowledge and then you have the, the overhead in silicon to move that stream around in real time without it being choppy or dropping any frames or any of those things. Like anything is easy when you have the firepower behind it. True, true. M1, all, all roads lead back to M1. Speaking of M1, this is one I have not played with yet. I, I was on the second tier for reviews for the iMac, which apparently it's shipping today. So I haven't touched it. Renee, I know you got one in. John, I don't know if you did. But the new Apple iMac entry level, 24 inch, now packs in the M1 chip as well. So basically, Apple has kind of completed their consumer level transition of their Mac hardware to their own Apple Silicon. John, you and I definitely, I'm sure, have thoughts on the look and the design and everything. And Renee can tell us how it works in practice. I imagine it works just like all the other M1 Macs. It's just another form factor. But what do you think of the form factor, John? I mean, so so first, I do want to, and listen, I, I don't think I'm as much of an Apple, I'm not going to say Homer, but whatever. Like, I, I, I generally try to call Apple out for a lot of things. But their transition to their own silicon was so smooth. And so well done. I did a, a video where I revisited my MacBook Air that I'm still using as my daily computer six months later. As I was thinking about it, I'm like, I honestly stopped checking what apps were compatible. Like, what was an Intel app? What was x86? What was like a weekend? Like, it wasn't an issue that I thought about. And I think Apple deserves a lot of credit for what they did with Rosetta 2. I could not even begin to comprehend the engineering hours and genius that had to go into us having no idea that really anything's going on. Like if I gave my wife a new MacBook Air and was like, use this, she'd be like, this is amazing. She'd have no idea. And that's the point that you have no idea is incredible. And if Apple's, if anybody's thinking about what's coming next from Apple hardware wise, I'm waiting for a 16 inch MacBook Air. I'm waiting for an, an iMac Pro. The fact that what you consider an entry level is so good and so well done from generation one my feeble brain cannot comprehend what's coming two or three years from now. You know, when you see Apple's chart of like, from the original iPhone to now, we're 900% yeah. better. It's going to be like from M1 to M2. Like, your battery life is now 15 hours and the milliamp <laughs> hours are smaller. You're like, how is that a thing? It's absolutely incredible. And I'm sometimes overly critical towards Apple. I think they're held to a different standard. But also, I think they deserve credit where credit is, is due. But I think that's fair because they get so much attention, like the equal and opposite of that is criticism. And I kind of like the fact that, you know, Apple will put out AirTags and the entire world will jump down their throat. Samsung will put out smart tags. Almost no one will say anything. But <laughs> right. you know that you know that AirTags will be better because of all the criticism they get. And so my wish is that Apple never gets criticized any less, but just every major consumer technology company gets criticized as much because then it just makes their products better for the people who prefer those as well. So what do you think of the actual device? Harkening back to... Segway, Donnie. No, it's all good. I mean, we, we talk M1, that's fine. But the device itself, kind of a throwback to the original iMac release, multiple colors. It's like a more... We've had a more fun Apple over the past year or year and a half or so. And I don't know if that's due to departures, <laughs> like Johnny Ive leaving. Some of us more pro users are kind of left out from a lot of this fun. Like if you want to get like a iPhone pro versus just a typical iPhone non-pro. are very serious, Andrew. We don't have time right. for these you, you, color Space gray and silver is it, and maybe a dark color. That's about it. But for the general public, I don't even know how they're like managing inventory for all this stuff, but... You know there are people out there who are buying the new iMac simply because of how it looks. Do we know if Johnny Ive had a role in this design at all? Good question. I don't think we do. Yeah, I don't think we do. But he hasn't been doing this stuff for a while. He was doing Apple Park and the Apple stores, and Evan Hankey was, and I'm blanking on his name now, but uh, they were doing most of the product stuff for a long time now. From a design standpoint, I had to come to grips with my own hypocrisy. 
<laughs> which is tough, right? Like the iMac design had essentially stayed stagnant more or less for 10 years, right? Yes, for sure. It's aluminum, aluminum, big chin, giant Apple logo. Apple released the new design. We saw it. My first instinct was, well, where's the Apple logo? Yeah. Like, why, why does it, why does it not? And I, and I was, I kept saying new design, new design. And then I was hypocritical about the new design. So at first I had to come to peace with, with that. And I think my only issue was with a white bezel. But I think that's something that that's a personal choice people can make. And it's growing on me. How about that? More than my initial gut reaction. Yeah, I hated it at first. It was just, why? Like, why would you do this to me? And where's the, the matte black model? Why is there a silver model and not a matte black model? Why do you hate Marquez Brownlee so so deeply and so much? But, you know, I listen, like, I always try to listen to what Apple says, and then I want to compare what they say to what I think the reality is. And their thing was, this is meant to go into the front of house at retailers. Uh, mm-hmm. It's meant to be in your living room, in your kitchen. And most people don't have very dark colored walls. So I keep using this term. It's like a mullet. It's like this big, bright, colorful party in the back. And then like this more straight laced business in the front. And they made it much calmer. And if you have like white to gray to beige walls, the bezels kind of disappear. And you're left with just the display, just the content. And I saw some people went through all of Apple's pictures and painted the bezels black. And it really does stand out now. Like all of a sudden now you have this big dark frame around everything. And so I intellectually, I still hate it, but I'm like begrudgingly admitting that it looks fine in real life. Renee, so I see you have one like right next to you. Yes. When Apple did the keynote, they called it a light gray border. Does it just look white to you or does it actually look gray? It's off-white. Like if I have nothing else around it, I can tell, like it will look white to me, but it's off-white enough that it doesn't, like... You know those jokes about everyone should just paint their walls interface gray because then like they they disappear. We'd never even notice we have wall. It's sort of like it's off. Pure white would have stood out more, I think. It's just off white enough that it's, it's sort of like you don't notice it. It's not bright in your face anymore. It's a piece of furniture. It, I mean, it looks like as much a piece of furniture as a technology tool. But it's this whole trick they're pulling. Like M1 is different things in different computers. Like in the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro, because it's so efficient, you get all of this battery life. The iMac is plugged in, so it doesn't matter about the battery life. But because it's so efficient, they can put it in like this two-dimensional container. And so you it becomes like not translucent like the original iMac was, but almost translucent because when you turn it and because it's got the off-white borders, it really kind of disappears. Like it just goes where you put it. And that's a really weird... I'm going to be polite about it. Mind trick. (laughs) (laughs) So for, for those, there were some people wondering like, why, why is the iMac smaller now? Why the answer to that is this is an upgrade to the 21.5 inch iMac, not the 27 inch iMac that you may be used to. So this would be aside from the N1 M1, probably this would probably be a downgrade in all other senses and, if you were a 27 inch user, you probably want to wait for the replacement for those. And as I said earlier, this is the this completes the transition for their entry level consumer products. So I guess now begins the march toward the MacBook Pro, iMac Big or iMac Pro, the Mac Pro. Still very impressive. Mac Mini Pro, yeah. Mac Mini Pro, sure. 13 inch MacBook Space Pro. Gray. Or 14, if that's what's happening. So do you think pros will be disappointed? So like this is my this is my next fear, is that because of the way that M1 works, it's not like Intel, where you had like the core M on the ultralights and then the core I, and then you'd have like the I5, the I7, the I9. It's just one chip. And M1X will have the same single core performance because it's still 11th generation Apple Silicon. It'll just have more cores and more ports. So you're, you're basically differentiating now, not based on the different fake categories that Intel would put out on their chipsets, but you're differentiating based on the amount of cores, the amount of ports, and the size of the display. And will that be enough yes. for pros? Or will they think my like, question, I, no, I want more. My question to you will then be, is that truly, I know we've had so many rumors recently, is that truly the plan? So we can kind of parse through this. If we look at processors, the M1 two years ago would have probably been called the A12X or the A14X, right? So we're in the A14X. So an M1X would make it a a14 double X. Like is is there something like that? Right. Or Z, whatever you want to call it. 
Is your expectation based on rumors that the pro machines will stay on the A14 generation or that since the A15 will likely be coming in September, that we may see these machines in October again and we'll get the next generation of of the M series processor, or because there are the rumors that we have pro machines coming and we have the new MacBook Airs coming, that they're going to complete the transition with the pro machines on the current gen and then start new again on the consumer end of things. If they're not careful, it's going to be super confusing. And like it may be super confusing anyway, because for someone to understand an M2 is... Yes, it's next generation, but it's again ultra low power. You know, it's not like it's what's going to go into a next MacBook Air, a next entry level MacBook Pro, a next 24 inch iMac. And it's not like twice as good as an M1 just because numbers. It's going to be confusing. My expectation is it's going to still be this gen, especially if they come out at WWDC, like the rumors are saying, it'll be the M1 with more performance cores, more graphics cores, more neural engine cores, more Thunderbolt controllers on board, more RAM on package, and bigger SSD options. Because right now you're still constrained to 16 gigabytes, which is fine for a lot of people, but other people really need that 32 or 64 gigabytes of RAM and really want like four terabytes, eight terabytes on deck. So like if it has that, I think that's a really good package. And maybe because the thermal envelopes are bigger, they can tweak frequencies and maybe get you just a little bit more frequency out of those cores. But I don't think we'll see... The Mac Pro to me is the big wild card because that is such a different beast. I don't think they went to all the effort of making MX modules for the last Mac Pro for a one-off. So I'm really curious to see... I hope not. ...what happens with that, like with 20, 40 ridiculous cores, you know, that sort of thing. But I think we'll get the M1X and then there'll be an M2, maybe an M2X after that. Yeah, I think your point about confusion is perfectly set, especially from one to two is extra extra confusing. So I think you have to you have to re-educate the professionals between what matters. So is it video card and how many gigs of RAM are on that card? And then to cores and what that means. But to Apple's strength, the strength has always been user experience, whether that user is a consumer, a prosumer, a professional. And if M1 is any indication of future user experience, I think all professionals are going to need is get these devices in their hands. I mean, if you live in, in Photoshop, you live in Final Cut, especially, or any Apple first-party software, I, I wouldn't even wait. <laughs> it's a life without beach balls, John. It's magic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's incredible. And then you're dealing with a computer that maybe is plugged in, like you said, like a, a new version of the iMac, and then it becomes, it's game over. So it, it's re-education and then probably sorting out the inevitable confusion afterwards. The, the iPad, iPad Pro, iPad Air confusion. Like maybe like the pros get an X1 or something, which then maybe it's easier to understand. You have M1 and X1 and then M2 and X2. That's all Greg Joswiak's problem now. <laughs> right. Although, I mean, if you look at the PC side of things, Renee, you, you mentioned it just a few minutes ago, all the different model numbers and for all the processors, if on the Mac side of things, you had M1 and M1Z, just picking two names, there's really only two chips there. Like the confusion... Shouldn't exist as far as I'm concerned. I got to jump in. Renee, how in the world can Apple do the the Mac Pro? My guess is that they'll have an even bigger version of the M1X. Like it, it wouldn't be like it'd be like M1XX uh, just because it'll have like 20, 20 to 40 cores, which the efficiency will allow it to do that because it's not as hot as any of the Intel cores. And then my hope is that they'll have breakout modules. Like they've done RAM on da daughter boards with Apple Silicon before. Uh, my only question is, will it be hella ugly or will it be hella genius? And will, or will it start off like really ugly and become genius? Because that stuff is non-trivial when you have unified memory to actually pull it out. But they have set a family of SOCs. So can you get like the base SOC and then plug MX modules in for expansion? That is where they can really innovate. And I don't, just don't know if that's Gen 1 or Gen 2 or where we're going to see all of that. I spent a lot of time in bed thinking about Apple's. And I have no intention <laughs> of buying a Mac Pro, but like, like how they're going to pull this off. And I think it's a fascinating movement for them. Yeah, my main fear and worry is the all the rumors of the size. Like all the rumors point to like Bloomberg and like people who are reliable are saying it's going to be half the size of the current Mac Pro. And when you hear that, it's like most of the size of the Mac Pro is for the modularity, 
for you to say, you know, I work in video and here's the modules I need. Well, I work in 3D modeling and here's what I like. You can really make so, but it. But you have one, right? For like, you. You have the Mac Pro? I do. So if yes. you just imagine that giant Xeon chip comes out and that giant 300 watt graphics card power supply and those graphics cards come out and then you have something the size of an M series chip in there, that's like half the thing. Like it, all you need to do is keep the expansion slots, remove the, the Intel and AMD, and then you got a shorty. You got like a short boy. Right. <laughs> true. True. Although you will have less slots though, because also the height of the computer, there's like eight slots in there. So if you you bring it down to four i don't know we'll see i think at this point i am leaning towards giving apple the benefit of the doubt just due to what they've done with m1 so for example a 64 gig if it tops out at 64 gig mac pro versus let's just say 128 gig current intel you're probably not going to be hurting for the ram just based on how they've laid out their architecture. So I'm definitely willing to see, like give them a chance. I'm just more curious how it's how it's gonna work, kind of like John is. For me, it's the pro workflows team because those are a bunch of grumpy industry insiders and they get to be angry now before we do. And I think it's been invaluable to Apple they put that team together because they're the ones who are like, no, 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 you're gonna start treating pros with respect or you're like, or, you know, we've, we've been yelling at Pixar and ILM for years, we'll yell right through you. Do you know if they still have that program where they had pros kind of working side by side with Apple's pro team to kind of monitor their needs. Are they still doing that? Yeah. So that, that team reports to John Turnus and it's got like famous people. Like you would recognize the names of the people that left their jobs to go work at Apple to do this kind of stuff. And they are all like Pixar and ILM and, you know, famous directors and audio engineers And the thing I love most about them is they don't just yell about Apple stuff. They're like, why is there a bottleneck in Adobe Premiere? Adobe, this is a pro workflow (laughs) team. If you just inverted this, like like Premiere would be so much faster to render. So how do we get this done? Like it's their job to make every single pro workflow work better on Apple hardware. Even like they'll go yell at the iPhone, like why isn't this working better? So I can just pull this HDR off, do this kind of stuff. And yeah, bless those people. They're fighting our battles. (laughs) Nice. Last product that was released, Apple TV. New Apple TV, the one that I think is the, man, I, I, I like it, but it also just feels like the most confusing one. Almost similar to the iPad, although the iPad has way more very obvious differences where it's like there's so much power here, but why? It's the 60 frames per second, like the 12X couldn't handle. It could barely handle 30 frames per second with compositing. It would start choking if you composited too complex. And so now you can do double the frame rate on HDR. And they didn't even need the X. They didn't even need an A12X in it. The A12 was fine for that. That's all they really wanted. Right, right. This is just throw the M1 in there. Like, <laughs> but we do have the remote. We do yes. have the remote. And John, I know, was very excited because he hated his remote so much. In fact, he texted me, "How's the remote?" <laughs> John, did you get one? I was waiting. I was waiting for your. I was waiting for your launch day remote video. I made a whole video years ago about the worst Apple product ever made being the the Siri remote, and then glass cracks. Expensive. It's, it was a horrible disaster. New remote's great. Love the new remote. I have issues. My I have a Sony TV. It's about four years old, and there's an issue with Sony TVs not being able to control power with the Siri remote. It's like a well-known issue. They pushed a firmware update a few months ago and haven't fixed it. So that's infuriating. But the remote itself is amazing. It, it's ergonomic. It works. It's Apple clearly listening. Apple adding more buttons. You've got mute buttons. There's volume buttons. In fact, I, I don't have to deal with a touchpad if I don't want to. I just turned it into a clicking. It's awesome. And that's Apple's listening. And it's been perfect. I have to say that the Siri button placement is way more consistent with their other products to where I now use it. Like I never, I never used Siri on my Apple TV 4k previously, I maybe a few times like for testing. I, used, I pressed <laughs> it when I was trying to hit another button, like the play pause button. And then I'm like, why, what's happening to me? Why do you hate me? <laughs> I use Siri more in the past two weeks than I have in the past three years for Apple TV in particular. And it's actually good. Like I know it's so, it's so popular to hate on Siri because of how, the launch was and a few years after, but I feel like Siri has really started to come into its own. But on a specialized device like the Apple TV, 
It's really good. I can pull up a camera, any camera. Someone rings my doorbell, it'll just pop up on the corner. I can say, hey, go full screen. All right, show, like, start the latest episode of last week tonight. I don't have to wait. I don't have to click. It just, it just does stuff. So it's a great product at a, in my opinion, confusing price point. Apple just sees it as this is a premium box and you're going to pay premium prices for the premium box. Hard to argue that it's not probably the strongest like set-top box the out there. Apple TV app on your Samsung TV and like <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it's all about the remote for me. Last topic though, WWDC 2021. We know it's coming in just over two weeks. I feel like this is going to be it's big. It's glow time. <laughs> and here's why. Let me tell you why. You guys saw the Apple Watch accessibility video the other, like last week, right? Yeah. yeah. The fact that that was released three weeks before WWDC and tells me, especially when you look at the quality of the video, it looked like something that could be showcased during a keynote. They need to cut for time because there's a lot happening. Yeah, they yoded it from the keynote just to, and stuck it up a week early. Like the like the audio features could have been in the keynote too. They, you know, they could have saved right, all that stuff from right. the keynote. So big things coming. What are you guys expecting though? I mean, obviously we're going to see new software for the Mac, for the iPad, for the iPhone, and for Apple TV. But those are the obvious things because we get that every year. Any specific expectations or predictions? MacBook Pro. That's, that's what I'm waiting for. I just need those in my life. Is that a hope or is that do you actually expect to see it? I expect to see it. My biggest, my, my biggest source of stress right now is that there are rumors that the mini LED hasn't worked out yet and they're going to push that to next year. And like, I, I, I just want it now. Like, I don't want to have to like say, oh, am I going to buy it this year? Or am I going to wait till next? Because I usually keep my MacBooks for like three, four years. So like, and I've been waiting. I've been like, I was not going to buy like the latest Intel ones. I was going to wait. And then I was going to buy the M1X one because mini L and now I'm going to have to really think about it. So I think we're for sure we're going to get like, well, never for sure, but I have high expectations. We'll get the MacBook Pros at least. Dub dub. Okay. MacBook Pro and just the Pro, like just the, or you're saying like 14 and 16? Yeah, like 14 new- and 16. I think the iMac, the iMac Pro is like a, a wild card because it was, it was a rumor. I forget Prosser, I think, said that it took so much time and energy to get this iMac out that they're not ready with the with the bigger one yet. So just the MacBook Pros. I mean, that's totally selfish because I want it. But you know, like I want it. <laughs> I want the iMac. I want the yeah, I want the iMac Pro. And it feels like you're gonna run out of time. Like you can't announce an M1 machine after you started announcing M2 machines. Just in my opinion, just kind of weird. You got to get all the M1 stuff out first, then move to the M2 MacBook Air later this year. Or the M1X, whatever, whatever comes. There has to be differentiation between them. And sort of like you and Renee said at the beginning of this, this whole conversation, the Apple's consumer transition is done, right? Yes. Every consumer machine every consumer has been addressed. At some point, there has to be a difference for the pro side. Like there's got to be you know, what have you done for me? And I don't think it's an M2 thing right now. That's just from a mental standpoint, makes the M1 seem, seem so anemic, which is, which it's not, but I'm with Renee. I am, you know, processor saying to expect new hardware. I expect new hardware every year at WWDC and every year I'm disappointed. So (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to stand outside with my umbrella saying it's going to rain. And one day I'm going to be right. (laughs) And I think that this year is a day that it's going to rain when we actually do get hardware at WWDC. And I think so, it is going to be the like, 14 and the 16 MacBook Pros. Last year, we got the Mac Pro. 2017, we got MacBook Pros, iMacs, iMac Pros, iPad Pro, the stupid HomePod. I'm not saying stupid HomePod, but was like, there was just so much hardware <laughs> at WWDC. And they did, it was like a three-hour event. And like, that's like, you know, Andrew and I are like, all of us are going to be like crying because of so many embargoes. But I still think that, you know, sometimes Tim Cook just says, clear my skies and all the jets fly off, you know? Yes. So, John, I wanted just to just to clarify what I meant. John Prosser also, obviously, rumor and innuendo that new MacBook Airs in multiple colors that are similar to the IMAX colors, redesigned MacBook Air would be coming later this year with M2, which would be like the A15 in the iPhone. So I'm thinking if these are coming, let's say, in October or November, you wouldn't want to then announce an M1X iMac after you've announced M2 products. So I feel like... Just call it X1. I figure like that solves it for them. Yeah. Mm, true. It's 
So the process, what, what John was saying in, in his leaks that he had with the new MacBook Air, how could they release something that potentially looks like that and not call it the MacBook? I just I look at that. I'm like, that's like, that's yeah. a MacBook. I agree with that, actually. I wasn't sure they'd, give, they'd keep the iMac name because they've moved so much off of iThings. Because like these, these are iBooks. These are essentially iBooks. Like it's the next generation iBook. Right. It's like the last 10 years didn't exist and they're rebooting the whole iBook line. True. Have they, since Tim Cook took over, has there been any new product line that was i? I don't think so. Like the, the Apple, Apple Watch. Watch. Yeah. Air, AirPod, Apple Watch. Yeah. It's over. So it's just legacy. Legacy at this point. Yeah. There was that rumor that the iPhone name was going away. Remember, yeah. <laughs> remember that I think there's so, much, there's so much marketing equity in those names. They can't mess with them. No, for sure. You don't just throw away the name iPhone and switch to Apple phone. No. Cisco will take it back so fast. <laughs> All right. That, that's our show. Woo. That's everything. Hardware. That's a juicy one. WWDC and, of course, Apple Music. Calm down about Apple Music. It's going to be good. Spatial audio is going to be the differentiating feature. Don't worry about lossless unless you're seven years old and have great headphones and a DAC. You probably won't be able to discern it all that well. Like Tony Stark said in Iron Man 3, relax about the bunny. (laughs) There you go. Renee, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you. So shortly after the last time, we appreciate your time as always, sir. No, I love you people. I'll be here whenever. Anytime I can. It's a pleasure for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. No, actually, I always enjoyed talking. I always enjoy talking to Renee. I watch Renee's videos all the time and oh, likewise. speaking to him daily. Speaking to him like in, in this frame is just like I feel like I'm interacting with a video. Like it's well, nice. Like I get asked if I get a pause the video and ask the questions. Apple Circle is just it's like a master class at this point. Just crushing it so far beyond recognition. It's amazing. Thank you. It's been it's been a lot of fun to work on like a new a new channel and be just behind the scenes on it. It's been very fulfilling. And Robert's just been absolutely crushing it. So good. Robert's doing his thing, even on his own channel. Robert, Robert was a good, good find for you. Great guy. And the reason why we feel like we're getting the masterclass from Renee is because, as you can see, John and I are just on crappy webcams. And then Renee, <laughs> Renee is in his set. I have one camera. It's laziness. It's like it's just, if I have one thing set up. <laughs> yeah, it's not just the camera, though. You, you make sure to turn the lights on behind you. Yeah. You make sure you're looking good. Even though no one ever sees this except for John and it's I. It's all home kit. Those I just say turn details. on. I say turn on and the whole thing lights up. It's, it's, <laughs> turn it's on so studio. lazy. It's so great. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Thank you, guys. And that is it for this edition of Geared Up. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, you can catch John and I on YouTube. I'm at YouTube.com slash Gear Live. And John is at YouTube.com slash John for Lakers. Feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to Geared Up in your favorite podcast app if you haven't done so already. Just search Geared Up, that's two words, not one, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, or really wherever you choose to listen. If you like what we do, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It really helps other people find the show. Geared Up is a Gear Live podcast, and you can see more from us at gearlive.com. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you in the next episode.